0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I have a good friend of mine, Mr. Dante Washington on the show. Dante used to play in Major League Soccer for both the Dallas Burn and the Columbus Crew. I met him back in the 90s uh, with the Dallas Burn and we've kept in touch ever since. He's doing a lot of great work, working back for the Columbus crew now. And we get into a lot of really good conversations about what it was like for him growing up as a black man in America in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, and then what it was like playing professional sports. And we also talk a lot about, speaking of sports, we talk a lot about branding and marketing and how can these brands sustain uh, longevity regardless of good years and bad years. Just a really great, well-rounded conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. So stick around. We'll be back with Dante after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is a good friend of mine, Mr. Dante Washington. Dante, how are you doing today?
1: Fantastic. How about you, John?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. And uh, I want to go ahead and start off by uh, asking a question, Dante. Dante, do you like like clothes? Uh, Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And do you like uh, bringing your full authentic self to work every day? I try to. Absolutely. Well, great. Uh, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. It is Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of the profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's Snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And I did want to highlight uh, until the end of June 50% 50% of profits go to the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which if you're not familiar with that, it is a grassroots organization that uses donations to bail out arrested protesters and supplies, uh, supplies those who are currently on the field. So check it out. Uh, the owner and operator of the company is Nick Silvestri. He designed the Detox logos. So if you like it, please go give him a follow on Instagram. Go check out the website. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So check it out. All right. But, Dante, I want to – I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, I've known you for a a minute, um, so to speak, (laughs) and (laughs) I'm excited to dig into your perspective, both playing professional soccer, um, growing up being a a black man in America, your perspective there, both in sports and outside of sports. Um, But I do want to ask you a question I like to ask dads that come on the show, and that's what do you think makes a good dad?
1: Wow. Pretty Pretty vague, pretty deep at the same time. <laughs> right. um, so, I always like to say, um, "Any man can be a father, but all but all fathers aren't dads." Mm. And being a dad is just always being for me. It's always being there, being present for your kids when they need you. Yeah, um, showing them the way. Um, in that they know you in and out and they know that you are there uh, behind them whenever uh, they need you. Right. And even when they don't think they need you. Right.
0: <laughs> Definitely. I love that. And I think it's so crucial here for today's conversation because this show is about educating and empowering the listeners who come. And most of the people who listen to the show are young parents and are looking for ways to educate themselves and empower them to raise a very diverse and inclusive, um, family. So that way, a lot of this built in learned behaviors around racism and discrimination can be eradicated and it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of work, um, because there's been a lot of forces working in the opposite direction for so, so long, but Mm -hmm. But I really would love to kind of start and and dig into, um, you know, as we're as we're here and we're recording on uh, the evening of June eighteenth. I know this isn't going to air right away, but we've got Juneteenth tomorrow, and right. and so I'd really love to get your perspective on, uh, as a black man in America and as a black father, what has been your Um, thought process through um, the current state and I know this is and and I want to I want to couch this and say what we're seeing as far as the attacks and the um, the racism is nothing new and I think I think that's key to note. but I think what is new is I feel you're starting to finally see a broad range of the population actually saying this is this is enough and things need to change
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting take that you say when it's not new. Um, For a lot of people, it is not new, but for some people and a lot of people, it is new. Sure, and uh, quite honestly, it's been um, pretty—I don't want to say challenging, difficult—but those are the first words that come to mind. Sure, Uh, to navigate through all the past weeks, month, I can't even I don't even know how yeah. long it's been at this point. Yeah. Three weeks I think it's been right. Um where uh black people have been talking about their experiences for for years, yeah. for decades. And um it's it's interesting that it, for as long as people have been saying this this is our experience, listen to what I'm saying, hear me out. Um for all of these years that, um, I never thought that eight minutes and 46 seconds could change the world. Yeah. And that's essentially where we are now.
0: Right. And you're seeing, you know, you've got, and, and this is something that I, I even struggled with on my end is, is I, you know, I, I think, I think it's what, what to do, right? And so there's a lot of good actionable steps you can take. You can protest, you can contribute to black businesses. You can uh, support, you can elevate, you can, in my opinion, you can really listen and learn. That's what I've been really focused on right now is, is even though we're talking and we're having a dialogue right now, it's important for me to, to highlight the fact that what I'm doing personally is a lot of listening and learning. And it, it's something that I, I think is a continued educational process but I think even more so right now, you're starting to see, I mean, uh, you know, the company that I work at, there was an individual who, you know, on the, the intercompany site had posted his specific story about being racially profiled, leaving his job at a fast food restaurant when he was in high school and mm-hmm. a very unfiltered perspective that got a lot of um, dialogue started from all the way at the top, all the way down to the bottom of the company. And that's something that was very unique to me seeing at this company and at others as well. Cause I've heard similar stories. And I think to your point, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, I didn't, I mean, who? eight minutes and 46 seconds is really what has gotten people to stand up and listen and really contribute to the, to the, the dialogue for some for some for the first time and yeah and I a good friend of mine talked about and said you know something that he's doing is he's saying you know I'm not he's like while I'm frustrated at some people saying I'm outraged I can't believe this my reaction to them and this is him saying my reaction has been that's great I'm glad that you're you've awoken you're here pick up pick up a shovel we got a lot of work to do
1: right absolutely um, I think there've been a lot of people kind of sitting in the background, um, kind of sitting on the bench and then they're coming off the bench and mm. are actually playing.
0: Exactly. You know, and as, as you mentioned that talking about coming off the the bench and playing, I, I, I know. So I know you from back in, in the days where you used to play for the Dallas burn now FC Dallas in in major league soccer. And so right. I'd really love to get your perspective um, playing sports and playing soccer specifically in America, uh, in the nineties and, and early to mid two thousands, what your perspective was, um, playing a sport that I think, I mean, we know it's a, it's the world's game, but I think, you know, growing up as I did, I saw, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people that I played soccer with were a lot of white suburban kids. I mean, so it was, it was, that was the population um, of which the company I kept was in that sport. So I'd really love to get your perspective, uh, what it was like for you playing soccer and then also transitioning to MLS. So
1: I'd have to first start by saying that my experience with soccer as a young black kid growing up was very atypical of probably the, my peers who were not, who didn't grow up in an area where I grew up. I, I, Grew up in. I was born in the inner city of Baltimore and moved when I was a little over one uh, to a city called Columbia, Maryland. And Columbia was founded on the premise that, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic status, religion, everyone lived harmoniously together. Um, There were no, no pretenses, and I grew up with. A lot of white, you know, white and other uh, races, and we were all friends. Sure. And we literally, it did not matter whether what color you were, what religion you were. We had uh, our religious centers were not churches; they were interfaith centers. So you could have people of different religions all, uh, you know, congregating. Within the same building. That's awesome, and it has truly, and it's really interesting because on social media and them talking to, you know, my friends, whether it be text or on the phone, uh, we really are appreciative of how we grew up. Sure, uh, and it's interesting because uh, one of my friends posted uh, a letter or a memo from our founder uh, James Rouse in 1967 where he said, this is the way that this community is going to be. So I have to start first by saying that because my experience with soccer um, is very different because I grew up with a lot of other kids who look like me playing the game where in other parts of the country it was nowhere near the same. Sure. For example, my junior year in high school, um, we could have fielded an entire – 11 players who were all black wow. from the goalie all the way up. And we would have, st- and this wasn't, and I'm not saying they like, Oh, we had some guys who weren't that good. We were just throwing them on because they were black. No, sure. like, these are guys who were all very good players. Uh, if I go, so 1980, 88, 92, 96, between those four Olympics, we had, uh, Five players. So in '96, we had one player who was on the team. Another was an alternate, and all five of those players were black. Wow. Were all black. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure there's anywhere else in the country that could replicate that. Yeah. Um, so, growing up, I, my peers, my friends, and people that I played with and against, you know, look like me. So as I go in into playing professionally, um that shaped a lot in whether I was playing in Dallas and had fellow black players. And then especially when I played in Columbus, right? I always had uh, a lot of black players around. And so I just have to first start by saying that because I recognize that my experience was, was very different from the average black kid growing up in, in my era.
0: Sure. And I know that, you know, in, when you think about, And this is something that i was thinking about the other day too and i know that you are still uh you are with the columbus crew still and you are the was it director of teams strategic partnerships and development did i get that okay that's a little bit of a mouthful yeah Yeah, it is (laughs) (laughs) um no but i i love that you're still affiliated with the columbus crew and i think it's fantastic and and so when i think about mls in 2020 versus, I mean, I grew up going to the the burn games in the Cotton Bowl in the 90s and, and seeing MLS then. And I think about how the world has changed, right? And I think about how the league, uh, at least to my outside perspective, reflects a very uh, welcoming, diverse, and inclusive type of mentality when it comes to the teams and the the coaches and the communica- community between the players. But what was it like... Um, for you because I know you hear stories about you know in I, I think about I think it was Rio Ferdinand who was uh or Romelu Lukaku in the English Premier League who were uh, getting racist chants at them and and taunts and different mm-hmm. stuff and so was that something that you had encountered or that your peers had encountered in those early days or was it
1: um less so I would say within the stadium n- no we we didn't experience those I, I will say that there was one incident um, where I I was, you know, where I was the recipient of some racist stuff within the stadium, mm. um, but it wasn't a league game; it was a separate game. But I would say that absolutely, uh, we were very much welcomed uh, within the community, the soccer community in in Dallas. Uh, we had a lot of Latino fans uh a lot of suburban fans and you know it was the early years as well so everyone was very excited about the team and about the league so right uh i, I absolutely felt nothing but love for, for from the the Dallas fans
0: that's good now i want you to walk me through if you can um your uh your um as you started evolving, and I would really love to know from like a professional standpoint with your um, your play, um, seeing as how I knew you and you were always a prolific striker, um, and I would really love to know when you were coming up and being trained within soccer, was was forward or striker or however you want to classify it always a position that you had played or was it something that you kind of developed into? How did that development look like for you uh, growing up, and then also then um, getting into MLS and playing as well?
1: Yeah, so everyone asks me this all the time. They, they ask, well, especially nowadays, like because people say you have to specialize. Right. I think I think I specialize by default. I did not like playing defense. <laughs> uh, I told this story not too long ago that uh, I can still vividly remember one particular practice. I was probably maybe 9, 10 years old, maybe a little bit older than that. And my coach took me aside and was trying me out at goalkeeper. And I don't remember exactly how it went, but it I know that it didn't go very well. So it must not have, it must have gone so poorly that he said, I'm not trying this again because it never happened.
2: Right. Right. Right.
1: And then I just put me back in on the field at, at, at striker at forward. So I've always wanted to score goals, wanted to do nothing else, but score goals. um, and I was fortunate that I was—I got to be pretty good at it. So uh, coaches didn't try to put me somewhere else, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they, they realized that was probably going to be a, a bad decision.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I love the the fact. So you played for for the United States in in the '92 Summer Olympics. Is that correct?
1: Correct.
0: Okay. And what was that experience like? I know I've had. Um, uh, different Olympic athletes on the show before specifically Jonathan Horton, who's a gymnast and he talked about what a great honor it was to play, to be part of team USA in the Olympics and what that looked like. And I would really love to know from a, from a team perspective, you know, this is, um, uh, as we know, the Olympics have the, the under 23 age cap, uh, where you get three overage players for the Olympics mm-hmm. for the men. Um, and so what was that experience like for you getting to play in those 92 summer Olympics?
1: So, I, I always have to tell this story. Uh, so, this was probably... Uh, I was in high school, so it was probably like 86, 87. And I was in an argument with my best friend's dad. they have like four houses down. And he didn't grow up. So, he was another black parent and he was from the South and he knew nothing about soccer. Sure. And we're in an argument and we're arguing whether... Soccer is an Olympic sport. Oh. And I am, like, in my mind, I'm knowing it absolutely is an Olympic sport. Right. And we're going back and forth, and we're like, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. So it got to the point where it's like, I'm respecting my elder. Maybe he's actually right, Right. and I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, all right, yep, it's not. And then, lo and behold, you know, five, six years later, I'm actually playing in the Olympics. <laughs> so I will say that I never expected to play in the Olympics. Sure. Uh, it all just kind of happened. Um, one of the greatest experiences of my life, being able to represent my country, um, being in the opening ceremonies, uh, especially then in 92, uh, there was the dream team there. We actually walked in. That's right. The, uh, opening ceremony with the dream team. Um, Seeing other Olympians, who I just like, in in awe, absolutely sure. in awe of, of all the athletes and the camaraderie and all that stuff that we had. So it was a fantastic experience that, uh to this day, many many years later, I I still you know can think back to to that experience and, and what it felt like because it was it was it was awesome. Right? <laughs> and it, it's one of those things where it's really really hard to describe. Uh, and put into words what it what it feels like. Sure. Really words words don't
0: don't come close to <laughs> Of course, to it. of course not. And you know, I love that you're talking about the Dream Team, you know, just the last dance just finished on ESPN not too long ago. And uh, that whole episode on the Dream Team was just I was I was mesmerized because I, I remember, I mean, watching it and just being like, this is incredible. This is God's gift to basketball. This is great. Like, I mean, just on and on and on. <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's the,
1: so this is the other part about it is when we went, you know, in the process in the opening ceremony and mm-hmm. then we all. Uh were done there were in the other countries would would go around yeah um there were athletes who were processing who would stop and look at them and take pictures with them <laughs> when it was their time for the glory oh my of walking God. in the opening ceremony, so they're walking <laughs> around the track and they're stopping because they're looking. there's like, oh my gosh, there's the dream team there's right. and there were only so there were three players that didn't walk if I remember correctly. Uh, Christian Laettner, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan—I think were the only three players who did not walk.
0: That sounds correct. Yes.
1: Um. So, but still, I mean, I it's mean... like I got pictures with Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, David Robinson, uh, Chuck Daly, the coach. Yep. Um, and ironically, years later, uh, I was able to meet Magic Johnson again and was able to print out a picture from the '92 Olympics and have him actually sign it. Oh, so, that's awesome. it it was it was crazy um and then i still remember like we were all very close together um at the one kind of the infield right and they were up against the pretty much right lane one of the track sure and when we i can remember just kind of taking a second and turning around and looking like over my shoulder and there was no one else around everyone was literally packed around them because everyone's trying to get to the dream team
0: That is absolutely crazy. It's just astounding to me. And I was thinking about this as well because I was watching it and, and, you know, my, my wife was watching a little bit of the series as well. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, she didn't watch basketball and I was watching basketball, but we're both like the things that they were referencing in the documentary about Michael Jordan, the dream team, the Chicago bulls, the playoffs, all this stuff. She was like, yeah, I remember all of that because it was such a cultural phenomenon and, mm-hmm. and that's, what's so crazy to me is the impact that sports can have. I mean, we were talking about, I was talking to a coworker the other day about the world cup and, and, and was talking about, cause uh, it was a memory that popped up on Facebook about like two years ago and the, the world cup starting. And I had some, smart ass comment about like the world cup every the one time every four years that someone is a soccer expert and uh you know i had comments from people being like well i'm going for spain and i'm going for argentina and just for no reason and you know all this stuff and so i love how sports can really bring people together and and, in in a community and so i you know, kind of love to talk to you about what were, you know, growing up you were playing soccer, but what were some of the other sports or um, events and stuff that kind of really brought you together with friends and family that you really recall
1: having such a big influence on you? I'll tell you, I played pretty much anything that had a ball. Sure. Uh, If you asked me back when I was young, what was my favorite sport? It probably would have been football. Sure. Uh, I played football, a lot of basketball, I didn't play baseball, um, but soccer was the only organized sport that I played. Uh, But when I was not actually playing soccer and practicing or playing on my own, training on my own, I spent a ton of time uh, at the basketball courts. Sure. So, uh, and you know, kind of to go back, we were talking about before with the whole specification of you know dedicating yourself to one sport at a young age. I literally did everything. Yeah. And I'm I'm a I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, so as I think back, those are some of the things that stick out the most. Whether uh, there's 15 kids all playing basketball together, um, playing 21. It was a game we played back yep, then. Yep. Um, or I mean, because we would spend literally hours on end, and you would have. Uh, back then, too, I can't remember, uh, like, the uh, the goals, so the actual, the hoop would be someone who could get up on top and get up and jump, and then they could, like, yank it to bring it down for some of the younger kids, so <laughs> yeah. we, could, we could actually dunk because it was <laughs> low enough for us to dunk. <laughs>
0: right, right, right.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, it's like all those things that'll, you know, many, 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 many years later, I'm still... Uh, reminiscing and, and can remember
0: what uh what specifically caused you to to stay with soccer uh, over basketball or football or any other sports
1: you know it's interesting I don't know why I never ended up playing uh, any of the other team sports it could have been really really easy uh, especially to play uh, basketball because it's the seasons are different from from soccer sure uh, but I think be- so, I'll also say, in my hometown, soccer was by far the most popular sport, okay, people growing up who are my my peers, my age uh I could safely say that probably easily ninety percent of them played soccer at some point, whether it was at recess or they played on a team and it could have been just for a short time. it could have been for a longer time, but uh, a lot of um, my friends played, so it made it a lot easier to play on a team sure. Uh, and, but for some reason, I, I just never ended up playing uh, another sport that specifically. Probably I would have played basketball. But um, my, what was it, my, after eighth grade going into high school, uh, I had a conversation with my uncle who was more like a, an older brother for I think maybe eight years that that separated us. Um, he played football and his best friend played football. And I told him, I said, I'm gonna play football. I'm gonna quit soccer, and they literally told me, "No, you're not." <laughs> I was like, "No, you're no, I'm I'm gonna play soccer." And I can remember his best friend saying to me, "He's like, listen, Don, you were too good to stop and to try to play football." And I guess they must have talked me out of it because <laughs> <laughs> you know I didn't play right. um, I didn't play football. I went and, and continued on with soccer. So, well, I mean, they um, were right.
0: You are you were fin- you are were fantastic. So. That works.
1: Well, I guess they must have known something and were able to convince me back then, even, you know, because when you're in ninth grade, ninth grade, you know everything, right? Yeah,
0: definitely. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think it's interesting, too. And it's something that I I don't think about so often now because soccer is really. peppered throughout the country, but for a long time, and I, I think maybe it's also still true in this way, but it was very regional based. So like growing up here in Texas, yeah, I played soccer as like a elementary school kid, but then it became a point where it was like, okay, so, you know, you're going to run out of soccer because then football's going to start and you're going to be focused on this. And this, this is the sport of your state kind of a thing and the sport oh. of your area, you know? And, yeah. and so I, but, but I have friends who are from other areas like, um, definitely Maryland, as you're talking about, but uh, friends from St. Louis. And I want to say it was Chicago also. And then of course, New York and California and Seattle, where it was like, they were all in on soccer from day one. And there wasn't another sport that they even considered.
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say we were at a pocket where it was just, I mean, growing up in the Maryland, Virginia, especially Northern Virginia area, and there's just everyone played soccer. So it was a was pretty much a hot bit kind of like the other place you you talked about.
0: Right. And I'd really love to get your perspective on um, now that you've retired from soccer and you're back working with the Columbus crew. I'd really love for you to kind of dig in and, and talk through what it is that you're currently doing for the Columbus crew and also how that's kind of shifted in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and then now you know as we were talking about before we even started recording now the MLS is starting back up again next month Um, what that looks like as well and means for your your role within the crew
1: so at a high level uh, with partnerships and business development I essentially look for uh, mutually beneficial relationships with corporate community uh, partners that could be anywhere from youth soccer clubs and youth soccer organizations uh, to universities, to corporations, to a YMCA, parks and rec. I mean, it literally could be uh, any partner where we take the best of what we have and, and bring it together and and develop a, a working relationship. Uh, a big focus of what I've been trying to do um, is this create like a network of youth soccer organizations that we work with. And I'll say through this whole COVID, uh, situation, it's been a big challenge. Sure. Uh, obviously we don't have games that have been going on. Um, and of course youth, youth sports, uh, up until recently here in Ohio has been, um, pretty much nothing's been going on. So that's put a, put a damper in things. Yeah um but i'll say that you know whether it's the youth soccer organizations or the universities or some of our other uh, local partners everyone is still very much willing to to work with us and 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 find ways that we can work together and it's probably going to be you know in some situations a, a slower crawl than others but it's still you know everyone really wants to come out of this uh and and do things it's just a matter of what makes sense and, and when we can do it. So right. it's definitely impacted things just like everyone else. Uh, but the, the beauty of, of, especially Columbus, it's it's one of those, um, it's a city where everyone really looks to work together uh, to identify, you know, towards t- uh, common goals. So sure. uh, I'm ex- still excited about what the future holds and uh, we'll we'll keep working in that direction.
0: Right. I think it's so interesting too, when we think about how, and I mean, you see this across, across all kinds of different businesses as well, but really the, the how, okay. The, like, um, how do we adjust for, for the, for COVID? What do we do? How do we maintain business? How do we continue to have um, a source of income? How do we keep going um, with with everything going on. And I think that can be a challenge, especially in sports because it is, it is so, I mean, you're, you're dependent on the, you know, there's a whole revenue stream model, right? Where it's like you, 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 you got to get people in, and you got to win, and you got to bring people back, and then you've got to—I mean, you know—you got to do all this. I was watching. Um, I was having a conversation with Bobby Warshaw a, a little while ago, and we were talking about um, the documentary Sunderland Till I Die. And I was talking about how—have mm. um, you seen that documentary?
1: I have not. Okay, I've heard it's fantastic.
0: So it I is. One of, it's on my. To watch list. It's very good, um, and this isn't spoilers because it's public knowledge. You can Google what happened to, to Sunderland in their seasons, but in mm-hmm. in one of the seasons when they're talking about what would happen if they get relegated. Um, you know i think from a big picture perspective as a fan you're like well i don't want to get relegated because i want to be in the epl and english premier league or i want to be in the championship and i want to compete for these champ for these trophies and sign better players and you know uh, all- the opportunity to play against some of the big names all this stuff but what you don't think about is the the um the trickle down effect i think and they were interviewing cooks in the kitchen and people that were working in the ticket office and i mean all these people they're like yeah if we get relegated the budget for like the number of heads you can have per position shrinks because now your the money that you're getting allocated for for your operations from the owners is shrinking Um, Mm -hmm. and so, because the money has to be allocated to these big player contracts who maybe they have a relegation release clause where they're not going to be on the books, maybe they're still going to be on the books. Um, and so you've got to pay them the same amount of money that they were getting before, but you don't have the same revenue. And so it's just, it's all this craziness. And so I, I really want to get your thoughts on maybe what, um, I think what this really did for me was it highlighted a. I don't know necessarily if it's a flaw, just more of how the, the revenue is, is, is created, the revenue stream is created, but what are your thoughts on what can maybe sports institutions do to change up um, how how they make money to, to kind of circumvent some of this? Um, I don't know. It's, it's something I've been thinking about, and I'd really love to get your kind of thoughts on it.
1: Well, see I think this is where it gets really interesting because I think um, the the general thought sentiment is that sports teams make you know I say sports I'm I'm think I'm saying all sports. Sure. Sports teams make a lot of money every year. They make a lot of profit right. every year. And I, I'm not sure that's exactly the case.
0: Sure. Like that's the perception uh, is that they're they're yeah. making
1: yeah, 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 yeah oh, my goodness, they've got this sponsorship. They got that sponsorship. and But, it's, you know, when you start thinking about it, not all of them make a ton of money. And actually, especially if we talk about soccer, some actually lose money. Right. So when you throw in uh, the wrinkle of what we're going through right now, whether it's the sponsor dollars where they're not getting the value that they thought that they were getting. You don't have the concessions. You don't have the ticket sales. You don't have all those you know, the, the jersey sales, the merchandise, and everything that that you've been counting on. It completely tra- changes that the whole view of that profit and loss statement right. because you know all of those things that you were coming in, you're gonna thought you were gonna get a profit. You, you know those those line items aren't aren't you know aren't big exactly in some places aren't you know they're zero yeah so I I think that it's um. Probably going to take uh, people to cause people to take a a really hard look at what exactly is the value that professional sports teams bring. And in in my perspective, and I could be wrong, but I see the real value that sports teams have as in is in um, you get a you get an organization that doesn't that is at X value. And it's not necessarily the value that you're getting from ticket sales and all those things that I was talking about before, but it's the value of the overall organization. I think one of the best cases is you're eyes. I don't know if you like them or not, but I mean, you grew up there. My team is a Dallas Cowboys. Yes, so, of
0: course. Of course, I like the, uh, the Cowboys.
1: <laughs> i was just making sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: but I mean, that's like a perfect example where Jerry Jones bought the franchise at a certain number and where the value of the overall organization now. Yeah is completely different because of all the different things that he's done yep. over the many years. I still want them to win a Super Bowl, but Right. <laughs> not the 90s anymore. Know, they need to step it up. <laughs> no, Oh my goodness, please. <laughs> but I mean, it's like it's the overall value of the organization um, which, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, the housing market. It's not necessarily yeah. the value of the wood and the furnishings and all of this it's the value that somebody places on that home it's the same kind of thing it's you know not the number of ticket sales and and sponsorships but the overall value of what someone sees as for that organization right and that i mean still now sold out stadium um sponsorships they don't have to you know they don't they don't have to sell tickets. They don't have to sell suites. They don't have right. to sell sponsorships as, as the Cowboys. It pretty much just um, comes along with it. And, and, and a lot of that's due to uh, what they've been able to build in terms of the brand and the overall value of the organization. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's interesting you talk about brand because I was thinking about what are some of the most popular sports brands in the world, right? And it's like, what do you see everywhere? You see the Cowboys star, you see the New York yeah. Yankees, you know, you see yeah. the Boston Red Sox. I'm seeing the the L.A. Dodgers now a lot more frequently. I mean, the night mm-hmm. we were talking about the Bulls earlier, the Chicago Bulls were everywhere in the '90s. I mean, these are brands that. If you think about soccer, you, you got like you historically always had Manchester United, um, you got Barcelona, you got Real Madrid. You know, you've got these brands, and yeah. it's like that's what people. To your point, people aren't coming to see. I mean, they want them to win, sure, but they're coming to like be a part of the the brand, the experience. The I'm going to Cowboys Stadium or AT&T Stadium because I'm going to where the Cowboys are. Like I'm a part. I'm a part of it, right? And I think yeah. I think that's what's what's what you can see as a as a lasting brand. And I think you you get teams it's been a minute since I've watched basketball regularly, but when someone told me the golden state warriors were in the NBA finals, I went, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who? I mean, like I knew yeah. who they were, but I was just right. like, I don't that team.
2: Yeah. And
0: it really caught me by surprise because I'm like, you know, I'm used to hearing like, oh, the Lakers or the Heat or, you know, the Cavaliers because of LeBron. And then, of course, I'm a Mavs mm-hmm. fan, right? And Or the Spurs were in the final. I mean, these are these are teams I'm used to hearing about. And so it really caught me by surprise. And maybe I'm ignorant, but I felt like you have a team like the Golden State Warriors or you have a team like, I'll think about baseball and like the, um, the San Francisco Giants were really good for a while or the Kansas City Royals or another team were really good. Yeah. But I feel like... You can have, and this is what I'm really interested in your perspective on, too, is you can have really good teams on a brand that is not historically popular, but mm-hmm. you're still going to have people coming to support the brands they know. I mean, I remember watching MLS when Real Salt Lake won the MLS championship, right? And they beat the Galaxy, and then, like, a couple of years in a row after that, the Gal- or maybe it was before that, the Galaxy were, hist- like, really bad, and right. but my friends were still like oh the galaxy are gonna win the league I'm like why and they're like well they're the galaxy they've got Donovan they've got Beckham they've got the players they know the brand they know and that's what's so yeah. interesting is these brands that continue to to thrive over time
1: well I mean our team is probably the one of the classic examples
0: yes exactly
1: it's still I mean what was it 90 was it 96 was that the last was it 92 93 95. Forget the three Super Bowls that the Cowboys Cowboys. won in the 90s.
0: Yeah, I think 95 was the last one.
1: Yeah, I couldn't remember because it was like 92, 93, Skip one in the 95.
0: Yeah, I think it was 92, 93, 95. That sounds
1: correct. But, I mean, we've got like one of the worst records in terms of (laughs) haven't made – how many – not only haven't made the playoffs, but we've got like, what, one or two playoff wins in the past (laughs) – Twenty something years, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I love this too. So I don't have a, a a particular team that I love in the English Premier League. And I saw a website that said based on your NFL team, this is your team for oh, the English Premier. Right? League. Yeah, yeah. And the Dallas Cowboys and Liverpool are the two teams that they that mirror each other, and it's two historical organizations that haven't won anything and forever. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's obviously changed now with Liverpool and I right. hope it does the same with the Cowboys. Right. But, I mean, it just comes to show that you can rest on your laurels for a very long time and in, in sports, as long as your brand is just absolutely crazy and insanely powerful. Yeah. And
0: I think some of that is, some of it is due to, Region, so I think like the Yankees and the Red Sox as examples benefit from the the fan base, right? But I yeah. think you you think about the Cowboys and you do have a little bit of um you know a starting point because you're in Texas and football and Texas uh, go together like yep. you know bread and butter. Um, but the Cowboys brand wasn't always great. I mean, yeah. it had to evolve. But it's crazy to me how some of these teams, and so I guess maybe here's the question I was thinking about a second ago, is what do you think, like let's take the Columbus crew as an example. You know, they they won their MLS Cup in 08, uh, if memory serves correctly. I believe that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, because it was the year I got married. So that's how I'm able to remember that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they won the MLS Cup championship in 08, did a fantastic job, just really dominant. And had several seasons after that that were also equally dominant. Um, But it really felt like at the start of the next season, a lot of people that I knew that watched it fairly regularly, it meaning MLS, had forgotten that Columbus had won, that they were the defending champions. And so it's like, how do you get a brand? How can one go about, and maybe this is like marketing 101, how can someone go about evolving a brand to become one of those staples that... um, continue to be there year after year good season or bad
1: i was i think if we talk about in terms of brands historically at least within mls la galaxy have done a fantastic job with that uh, and i think a huge part of that had to do with david beckham coming and sure. playing for them uh, so i think personalities and that you have on the um as a part of your organization go a long way in in terms of helping with the branding and i'd say Honestly, that's why I'm a Cowboys fan because my uncle was a huge Tony Dorsett fan. Yeah. So, like I said, it was more like a older brother to me. So he raised me right. I'm sure he would say and made me a Cowboys fan. Yeah. And, as I did with one of my younger brothers. But a lot of it had to do with the personalities on on the team, and it was Tony Dorsett was good. Roger Staubach, you know. Yeah. Dick Pearson, Tony Hill, and then yeah. you go into the next generation. Then you got the you know, Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and... Yeah,
0: Emmitt, Smith Emmitt
1: Smith and Deion so Sanders, like yeah. You just continually have these players who, you know, for, for lack of better words, they're a Hall of Famers. Yeah. And when you have players like that as a part of the organization, you always... Uh, your fans always have someone to hang their hat on.
0: That's a good point,
1: yeah. And... I would say that Columbus, we really haven't had that. Other than, I mean, people to this day still talk about Brian McBride, and yeah. he hasn't played here. And I mean, I don't even know when he retired, and not not you know, not to mention when he even last played for the Crew, right? But he is like the staple name when it comes to Columbus, and that's true. Uh, L.A. did a great job and had it with with Beckham, and sold a ton of jerseys, and they brought in Zvatan Ibrahimovic, which would also help. But now L.A.F.C. is the new kid on the block. So it'll be interesting to see how things evolve and change if they do. Uh, And it seems like it already has to a certain extent in LA. But I think a lot of it has to do with the players that you bring in, because if you bring in someone that is dominant, that people can recognize and has a great personality and is um, adored and loved by the fans, then it's a lot easier to kind of develop that brand and, and have people love and follow your team.
0: Definitely. And, you know, I was thinking about it when you were talking about the Cowboys players and you were talking about Beckham in L.A. And I I think true. I keep going back to the last dance and thinking about one of the things that was unique to me about the Bulls is I kept hearing people talk about getting players that represented the mentality of the city. Right. So you had like they they so now you and you see this a lot with like the Philadelphia Eagles, maybe as an example. Right. And it's like you Mm -hmm. got you get players that are tough, that are gritty, that are maybe a little cheap here and there. But they're these like really tough blue collar type of working guys who, you know, they're like this. We the city of Philadelphia are like this. We support players that represent this. And you. I think, um, you know, I, I one oh I was thinking about this, too, like Portland Timbers. And you had Nat Borchers with his big beard and his tough-as-nails attitude. I mean, he came from Salt Lake, did great there. But when he went to Portland, I mean, it was like he was made for that city. And people, you know, brought him in. I mean, so I guess, you know, in thinking about it, it's like you've got these brands who can bring in a player like a Beckham for L.A. um, And that that people can hang their hat on is like, that's our guy. That's the person we're supporting. This is the Hall of Famer. This is the person that we're following. And mm-hmm. they complement the mentality of the fan base, the city, the population, because players come and go, but the fans are going to yeah. be there. I mean, we're still talking about being Cowboys fans, and like, Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith, these guys retired years ago.
1: Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, as you talked about the last dance, I think you know, probably arguably the best example – of that is is detroit i mean they just want to do nothing but they even said it yeah we're gonna beat you up (laughs) and nobody wanted them to win nobody wanted the pistons to win no no one did they hated them and but they said we are going our whole goal the only way we're gonna really (laughs) win is if we beat you up and that kind of goes back to the gritty detroit persona if you were to have a persona for a city yeah, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. It you know, the the players that you bring on the team have to, you know not that they have to, but it goes a long way to endearing yourself to the to the local community and the fans if your uh if your team represents uh the persona of that city. And we had that here in Columbus. In the early years we had a hard you know, called ourselves our hardest working team yep. in MLS and you know, that was, was really Columbus back then and it's definitely evolving now or it's not necessarily that um kind of blue collar hard hat you know that was actually that we had three men in hard hats in our logo yeah. of old um and, and that's evolved and you know i guess you know we have to think about how we evolve as an organization what types of players we bring because you know it's not necessarily that that hard hat wearing um player of, of old
0: right you no, know, it's definitely an interesting uh, moment in time with some of these kind of MLS originals like a like a Columbus Crew or an FC Dallas or, I mean, even think about like the Red Bulls when they started out as the Metro Stars. They were they were supposed to be like the New York team, but they were in Jersey, and now <laughs> now you've got New York's team, yeah. and it yeah. looks and feels totally different than the Red yeah. Bulls, you know, but. Yeah. But as we're as we're wrapping up here, I think we've had a great conversation about sports and brands and race and so I think as we're as we're starting to wrap up what I typically do and I've kind of put a hold on it for the time being. Typically in the show with some dad jokes, so I won't I'm still kind of holding off on that. And, okay. just, and just as a reminder to the listeners um what I've been doing for this month is playing uh, an outro from one of my favorite uh, musicians Fantastic Negrito he's a black blues artist definitely go check him out I put his uh, his song In the Pines uh, at the end of it and I think it's really it's um his take on In the Pines is more focused on Oakland and it's really a commentary on uh, uh, systemic racism and, uh, police brutality as well. So, uh, definitely go listen to that, but it's his take on a classic folk song in the pines. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, but one, the last two, two last questions here for you. So I think one, uh, if there is a piece of advice or uh, a resource that, you know, for people who want to better educate themselves and, and be better allies or really help, um, you know, raise a more inclusive family, is there something or someone you would uh, direct the listeners to?
1: I'll say, so this is very brand new to me and I'm, I I can't validate um, based on my own uh, experience, but um, I was recently made aware of, I think he was a lawyer, Brian Stevenson, uh, who, from what I understand, and like I said, I, I need to do more research, but he was in his whole background is in defending um uh criminals or accused criminals who are on death row or in, okay. in prison. And there's also um a Netflix movie that I think is revolves around him called Just Mercy. Oh yes. That because of what's happening right now, Netflix is actually, um, I think it was Netflix, or maybe it was Amazon Prime, one of the two. It's it's available on one of one of the, one of the streaming platforms. platforms. Um, so it's on my list of things to watch uh, because there was a short video that I uh, saw uh, of him that was online that someone shared with me um you know essentially talking about racism and how how we can go about it and he um kinda drew a, an analogy to to Hitler in in Germany, mm-hmm. which I thought was uh very interesting, yeah. especially based on you know an experience that I had in Germany as well. So I would say that one might be a good place to start. Uh Tanahisi Coates yes. also is um brings Absolutely. some very interesting insights. Yes. Um but I would also say um, reach out to any of your Black friends and just talk to them. Yep. Um, because uh, I've had some very interesting conversations uh, over the past couple of weeks, and uh, I've probably expressed things with people that I've never expressed before, and it's only because we've never had the conversation. Sure. Um. I'd also say that there's... You know, I, I kind of go back to where, you know, in the early stages of, of our conversation tonight, um, there have been tons of stories that have been told over the years, and I think at a certain point, people just start stop telling the stories. Right. Uh, I will talk about it with my fellow Black friends and all, but those conversations generally never go outside of it because... They have always fallen on deaf ears, so you just know, like, you know, bundle it up, put it in a box, and right. stow it away because it's not going to matter. No one's going to care. Yeah. Uh, but now with these, I feel like people are are, are more willing to, uh, well, not everyone, but a lot of sure. people are more willing to to listen. Um, and I think before people heard, but they weren't listening. Yes, and. There's a a very uh, big distinction between the two. So uh, open your heart, open your mind, and just listen.
0: Absolutely. And if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, Twitter. It's easy, at Dante Washington.
0: Perfect. It makes it easy. You are one of the lucky ones, and we're able to get your name on Twitter. (laughs) Oh, I
1: don't know how I got that lucky.
0: (laughs) Uh, well Dante thank you so much for coming on the show and
1: I appreciate it
0: yeah listeners we're going to be back next week with another great episode Um, but until next time hashtag listen and learn and hashtag be a better dad
2: I, I shiver sh- sh-